Mainstream media is dominated by the right and the left. The majority in the middle are left without a voice. You've reached the Conservative Hippie Podcast, a common sense look at life, the universe, and everything. Here's your host, Jay Frat, the Conservative Hippie. Yeah, yeah, that's me, the Conservative Hippie. Thanks for joining. Thanks for being a part of the community. I've got a cool show today, kind of a trippy show, if you will. Magic mushrooms, a.k.a. psychedelic mushrooms, not just for college students anymore, not just for hippie burnouts anymore. Magic mushrooms, a.k.a. psychedelic mushrooms, are becoming mainstream. There's actual legislation in the works in many states, cities, counties across the country There's academic studies going on that legitimizes the use case for psychedelic mushrooms, and it's very fascinating. So what I've got for you today is a show, a show about psychedelic mushrooms, but it's not going to be a show about experience. You're not going to get a show about trippy lights, man. I went into the center of the universe, and I found infinity, and infinity is God. No. You're not going to get any of that. I've got Poetic Math, who's been on the show before. He's coming back into the Smoke and Jays podcast studio. He is dedicating his life to mushrooms, and he very much believes in the medical use case for mushrooms for different diagnoses, like uh, PTSD, for example. So he's dedicated his life for this. He's going to come in and discuss types of mushrooms uh, that grow naturally in the Pacific Northwest and around the world. He's going to talk about current legislation that's out there and um, the political mechanics that are uh, maneuvering right now to bring magic mushrooms um, off of the black market and into your pharmacy shelves. And he's going to discuss different academic studies that are leading um, the advance of legitimizing uh, psychedelic mushrooms for medical purposes. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce Poetic Math and get this show rolling. Okay, Poetic Math, welcome into the Smoke and Jays podcast studio. Thanks so much for having me. All right, so we are doing this big show on a passion of yours, this this thing that, that you hope will culminate in using it as a tool to help others. Yeah. We're doing this show on magic mushrooms, but wait, don't call it magic mushrooms. Let's call it psychedelic mushrooms. That's the correct parlance, correct? I, I believe so. I'm not an expert by any means, but I've just heard some people who just, I don't know. There's some people that are, call it magic mushrooms. There's others that don't. I don't know. Trying to stay in the scientific side of things, the more conservative research side is you know, yes, my I, interest. I, I, I wouldn't want to call it magic mushrooms. I, I like calling them psychedelic mushrooms. I think what I learned in the little show prep before we hit the record button is that maybe your uh, your amateur, your uh, your person that flirts with psychedelic mushrooms will call it magic mushrooms, whereas your person who is serious about psychedelic mushrooms and the reach and the research and the education will call it psychedelic mushrooms. Yeah, 
Yeah, I get All right, well, let's start us off here because you've taught me so much on this topic. When usually when people talk about psychedelic mushrooms, they are always thinking of cubenzas. In the Pacific Northwest, in the Pacific Northwest, we have what's called liberty caps. These these types of psychedelic mushrooms, often people don't think that there's different varieties, that there's different types. Uh, often they think that maybe cubenzas are the only thing that is what they're talking about when they talk about psychedelic mushrooms. How many psychedelic mushroom species, is it correct to call it a species? Yep. How many different species are there? Uh, so far, what they've discovered around the world, over 180 uh, different species of psychedelic mushrooms, um, of which Cubensis is one, but there's 60 different strains, and they've been crossbred over time. And it is the most popular on the underground kind of black market for uh, psychedelic mushrooms um, because they're they're very easy to grow for really anyone with just a basic knowledge and there's tons of information available out there for people to do that want to cultivate um you know in indoors and it's it's ve- they're very easy to grow and they and they produce a lot of weight as well so you get a lot of bang for your buck so that's kind of why that is the most popular one that you'll find on the underground market um but they do occur naturally um on on six continents everywhere but antarctica and like i said over 180 different species and there's a lot of fun i'm you know, I've just scratched the surface of it, and you know, it just what I've learned um, in, in the the varieties we have here is is really fascinating. Just the differences and potencies, and um, the way they look, how, where what you know the substrate they grow in, uh, the environments, uh, different times of years that they throughout the year that they grow. It's it's really cool. The 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 most knowledge I've had, uh, as you said, cubenzas are mostly for that person that's growing it in their basement, their little dry cellar, um, in that sort of indoor scenario. Um, from what I've known, there's liberty caps that grow naturally in fields, uh, generally under a canopy um, in the Pacific Northwest. Now, there's two others that you've told me about that are here growing in the Pacific Northwest. Um, tell us a little bit more about them. Okay. Uh, as far as I know, there's probably somewhere in the neighborhood of around a dozen that grow naturally here in the Pacific Northwest. We're kind of a little bit of a mecca for this in a way around the world. Um, uh, but two of the ones that I've encountered naturally are um, uh, Psilocybe cyanescence and Psilocybe azurescence. And azurescences have kind of gained some fame and notoriety because of their potency it's it's kind of off the charts compared to any anything else that's that's ever been discovered and is that the one that's been discovered recently uh, only 10 15 years ago yeah there's you know always stories as to when it was first discovered i i've done some research and saw that like supposedly some boy scouts maybe first found it out on the uh, pacific northwest coast in the late 1970s but it wasn't officially um, kind of the science behind identifying a species and making sure that it's something different um, wasn't done until uh, I think it was 1995. And when you say something different, you're saying a psychedelic mushroom, where yeah, where you you have to research it and and name it scientifically that it's not um, just a regular old garden variety. Put it in your salad mushroom, but it's one that is quote unquote poisonous in a psychedelic way. 
Yeah, and I'm even just talking specifically between within the category of the psilocybe species, uh, you know, um, family. You know, they they did the work. It was identified to have contain uh, psilocybin and be of the you know psilocybe, but they they actually did like the genome. Uh, I, I, again, I, I'm not this deep into this aspect of it, but they, you know, they, all the genome sequencing and looking at the spore spores to make sure that everything, it, in fact, that it is a, a completely different species than another one. And, you know, and, and, and sometimes they look a lot alike just to the, on, you know, just to the naked eye, they can be very similar. And so, um, that was when it was like officially kind of named and and where is that one located at say the name again i i will i refuse to pronounce these scientific names i'm gonna let you do that oh i'm terrible at latin so but i've just heard this one because i'm so interested in this topic said so much that i'm able to repeat it but it's psilocybe azurescence so the azurescence oh there you go i did it just rolls off the tongue yeah. where is the azurescence why was it um why was it how did it go undiscovered for so long um, as this, um, I don't want to say magic mushroom. I don't want to lose my street cred. This uh, psychedelic mushroom. I I have no idea. Um, you know the lengthy history. It, I there's all kinds of theories out there as to like why these mushrooms appear in nature in different places, um, but no one really knows for sure. So where is the azurescence? Uh, it, it, it'll grow pretty much in the Pacific Northwest coast. I've heard stories of people finding them into Northern California all the way up to British Columbia. Okay. But along the coast? All, only on the coast. It's, it's habitat that it prefers and that it grows naturally in is in the dune grasses along the beaches, kind of like a little bit in off of the, you know, where the soil changes from being like super sandy into having some, you know, more dirt mixed in with it where it, it, it prefers kind of that like mixture and lighter soil. But, um, and then it also kind of becomes mycorrhizal with certain types of plants. I mean, again, and there's not, a, nothing's like concrete with it. It's just, just where you find it most there. I've heard and read stories of people actually being able to, um, cultivate it outdoors away from that area. Um, but I've, that's, that's almost urban legend at this point. Uh, I don't know. I think it's more than urban legend, but it's, you know, I, I, I don't have any, you know, experience or haven't met anyone who's successfully done that. Your own personal urban legend. Yeah. So azurescence and cyanescence. Mm -hmm. And where does the cyanescence grow? That's an interesting one. Um, it's it, it really tends to love um, beauty bark. So you'll pretty much find it in and around any areas where you have uh, wood chips and... It, you know, it's been theorized that it has spread around the world as well because of that and the popularity of beauty bark in the last 30, 40 years that has allowed that species to spread its, you know, roots or mycelium uh, around the world because of people selling beauty bark and then shipping and moving it around. And it, it comes, you know, and again, no one knows for sure if it originated here in the Pacific Northwest, but it's it's a very interesting one because it tends to follow like, human activity you, you you very rarely find it naturally occurring just out in the woods somewhere that's been undisturbed it, it, it wants something to do with like chopped up wood and it typically will grow on like hardwoods like alder chips or some sort of um, 
deciduous. It, it, it does not prefer uh, any kind of a conifer bark. It, it, most, most, a lot of mushrooms actually do not like conifer bark. So your cedars and stuff, and that's why you, I think you see a lot of that in city playgrounds and parks and stuff is that they don't have to deal with uh, clearing out fungus and, you know, worrying about some kid eating something weird. And it, it kind of repels a lot of species that way naturally. So cyanescence and azurescence, right? Yeah. Which one of those, uh, I believe you said one was more potent. It was like off the charts in terms of its, uh, the, the psychedelic properties contained within. Yeah, the, the azurescence is the one that's really known for its potency. And just to give some perspective is uh, when you talk about the amount of, so if you get into the chemical, you know, composition of these different mushrooms, the... Uh, what, what, the chemical that actually makes you hallucinate and have that experience is psilocybin. When you ingest it into your into your stomach, your body actually converts that. Your stomach converts it into psilocin, which then enters into your bloodstream and then goes to your brain, and then that interacts. Again, I'm not super into the science, you know, with something to do with. I don't know if it's. I, I don't want to misspeak, but it's you know, it interacts with your brain. Uh, to affect you in the way that it does. And so anyways, um, if you talk about the, the potency, what you're talking about is like per dried gram. And uh, a typical cubensis strain will have somewhere between like 0.14 to maybe 0.40% of psilocybin per dried gram. And azurescence contain somewhere between 1.7 to 1.85 wow. percent. So it's, it's you know, do the math. It's They're very, very potent. I've, uh, I don't have any experience personally with them, but um, just from the stuff that I've studied is um, you, you need very little to really. And, and where is the um, cyanescence in that? Uh, cyanescence is probably going to be in that 0.75 to 0.85 percent, so it's maybe two to three times, depending on again, and you never know what your what strength you're getting uh, on the black market unless you're really into the science and testing that and able to do that, which nobody is basically. So, but I would definitely say it's probably in the safe to say it's probably in that two to three times as strong as what you typically would find in a you know black market cubensis strain. Okay, okay. Now, uh, before we move on, I, I hear all the time when, when you, you've get, you get your layman's who are talking about magic mushrooms, and a lot of the conversation goes to uh, cow pies, uh, that they grow in cow shit. And I've never, I've never come across any mushrooms, uh, psychedelic mushrooms that grow in cow shit. The Liberty Caps grow in um, fields with a canopy. You just talked about cyanescence, which likes that beauty bark, the fringe of beauty bark. And you've talked about um, azurescence, uh, which is along the coast in that, um, that ground between um, sandy dunes and where you start to get a little bit more of your earth and dirt mixed with the dunes. Um, what is this fat infatuation with mushrooms that grow on cow pies? Well, cubensis does grow naturally, not here in the Pacific Northwest. Um, it, places like Florida, Texas, Mexico, throughout there is where you'd be able to find cubensis, and then also South America. A lot of the history of psychedelic mushrooms started 
with people going down Mexi- to Mexico, uh, Maria Sabino, you know, that was, you know, I can't remember the guy's name, but in the 1960s, they went down there. They had these experiences. Uh, Terrence McKenna is really famous for, you know, what he and his brother Dennis and their little group did down in South America as well. Um, so it, th- those are the ones that you're hearing about growing in cow pies. Um, That's they they the, love that. The Cubenza species. Correct. Yep. Okay. Naturally occurring Cubenza. Does, okay, so does, does Cubenza... Uh, potency, if you will, psychedelic potency, does it fluctuate between the indoor, the the kind that you cultivate on your own through spores in your basement, um, to the ones that you find naturally um, in Mexico amongst cow pies? Yeah, there there's always a bit of a variation depending on the strain. Um, there's other factors too, which again, the science isn't really very, very developed on exactly why different um, types of mushrooms have different potencies. In fact, even within the same type, like you may find uh, a cyanescence that, you know, depending on the patch and where it's located and the size and then the age that you find it at in its life cycle, sort of. Um, these are all hypotheses of possibly, you know, things that can affect and reasons why potency varies a little bit. Okay. Uh, are there any more types of psychedelic mushrooms that you want to introduce us to that we may not have heard before? Oh, there's, I mean, there's so many. I could, you know, go on for a long, long time about the different kinds. I mean, just around here, I mean, there's, and again, I'm terrible, so I guess I'll try to save some face with how bad my uh, Latin is, so I don't want to get into too many of the the, variations. Is is there a bit of snobbery uh, amongst uh, people that are, that study and are really into the psychedelic mushrooms? Um, Liberty Caps was something that, um, I'm a native Washington I've lived in the Pacific Northwest all my life, and I had never come across any Cubenzas. It was always Liberty Caps were the ones that were popular um, that I would hear from uh, stories about and that I've seen personally. Um, is there a reason that Liberty Caps aren't high on your list of, of native uh, Pacific Northwestern mushrooms? Um, I, no, I mean, I'm curious about really like almost all mushrooms, uh, just kind of being like a mycophile and in love with mycology in general. But, uh, I just, um, the, the environment that they grow typically is going to be in a field. A lot of times where some sort of animal, uh, it grazes or lives there and, and does, um, you know, take a crap. Basically you need some of that stuff into the soil for it to actually, root from what I've studied with it. And I just don't have access to like friends that have farms. I'm new to the area. And, you know, so, um, it's just not a easy one to go out and kind of try to look for and find. Versus that, uh, cyanescence, I believe was the one that you might find. And we do want to make it clear when we talk about beauty bark, Think of all the places in your urban setting that has, say, a grassy lawn and then beauty bark around a tree. That's where you're talking about, right? Yeah, I've, you know, I've observed them pretty much in all of the, I mean, you know, not all, but in a lot of local parks. So they're they're very easy to find if you know where to look. This podcast wouldn't be possible without the support of Smokin' Jays. Please take the time to visit SmokinJays.com. They have over 2,000 products 
from puzzles and posters to pipes and purses, everything for your smoking lifestyle. Use coupon code HIPPIE at checkout for 15% off your order. Right now, I'm wearing a beautiful sundress I got from Smokin' Jays. Just visit the link in the show notes. Don't forget, coupon code HIPPIE. That's H-I-P-P-I-E for 15% off and to support this podcast. Okay, we've got Don't Call It Magic Mushrooms. We've got Psychedelic Mushrooms. We just learned about the types. Um, why did you get into this? I first got into it really on the uh, what I thought was the, the research that's coming out right now uh, and the studies that are being done for uh, mental health, helping, helping people in their mental health issues, uh, depression, anxiety, addiction, um, there's a lot of research and my background is in college is in philosophy and psychology. So that kind of was a natural fit for me. And I also, uh, did have experience in college with psychedelic mushrooms myself and, and, and found great personal benefit in my life and my view of the world and how I saw things, um, after. So I, I, I kind of always had this hunch back and this is in college 20 years ago, um, that, that these could be good for people and their mental health and, and how, how they can get through life. And uh, now that, that that's kind of bubbling to the surface in, in our culture and becoming more mainstream and accepted, I, I kind of, that really got me going as to like, yeah, I wanna, I wanna get in there and see. And in fact, I mean, that's kind of my goal is to go back and get my, um, my, my master's for psychology and then I want to start working with uh, veterans with PTSD is kind of what I feel called to do. Uh, I know that we have a you know big problem with that uh, and and then see you know where things go. I'm kind of just watching. I've been following this movement for almost three years now, kind of watching everything that's happening with it and the legalities and where things are going. And so I'm going to continue to do that while I work. To, you know, towards my goals of being to help people and then see see where it goes. I don't know for sure that it's going to be what I end up doing, but I have a hunch that I'm going to end up there. Okay, so two questions. What is it that you want to end up doing? And you mentioned PTSD. What are the potential, what do you see as the potential uses of psychedelic mushrooms in medicine? Right, so I guess to answer the first question, what I could see myself doing um would be kind of what I guess a generic term would be like a trip sitter where it looks like a potential model that may be forming as a, a legal method would be where uh, a person suffering from whether it's PTSD, anxiety, depression, or some kind of addiction could go to a treatment facility, um, possibly multi-day, but then they have a psychedelic experience uh, with a a psychologist who's there uh, and right now there's even ones where there's two there uh, both a male and a female 
to kind of help you through the experience. And there's a lot of prep work involved where you're doing a lot of work, preparing yourself for the journey. And then there's actually a lot of work to do with the integration after your experience as well. This isn't just a a magic pill that you're going to go in and take. It's it's really hard work that takes a lot of uh, effort from both the the person coming in seeking treatment and then the person admin, you know, the psychologist working with them. That's very interesting. You referred to it as a trip sitter, which sounds um, it sounds doesn't sound at all what you then described, which is in a in a more clinical setting, it sounds a lot more um, like a counselor, a psychologist, a psychiatrist, if you were, and that that type of work. Yeah, it's, you know, again, they're, they're just calling, they're, you know, just some people are calling it a trip sitter because it's someone who's going to sit there while you trip on psychedelic mushrooms, right? Well, they but, wouldn't just sit there. You just, you just outlined a lot of work. What would you call it? Forget about what they would call it. What would you call it? Um, it's, it's really a person to be there to kind of one, prepare you for what you may encounter. Uh, again, no one really knows what you're going to encounter. Um, but there are some similarities that a lot of people encounter, certain types of maybe archetypes in the mind, potentially. We don't know exactly what these things are yet. Um, and so you, you can prepare a person that way, is that. And then when you're in the experience, um, again, I, I don't have any personal experience doing this. It's kind of a goal of mine, but from what I've seen is it's kind of what they, a term they use called holding space, where you're kind of just allowing an environment for a person to, to really do some hard work internally with what's, you know, what kind of trauma they've experienced that's kind of leading to this depression or the anxiety or the, the negative kind of behavior that they're, uh, negative experience that they're having in life typically a lot of times comes from some sort of trauma and it's it's painful so a lot of times it's not even so much like that you have to even say anything uh, i think there i mean there are some there are groups right now that are working on training uh people that want to do this kind of work and i'm sure there is some guidelines and there is sort of things it's but it's really not so much at times of what you can even say other than just being there for somebody who's going through I guess, like an internal personal crisis, just like you can imagine if you're experiencing, you know, like somebody who's had, there's not a lot you can say to somebody, maybe like an example would be like if someone, you know, lost a, somebody they loved a lot, like you, you can't really say anything to them. You just kind of need to be there for them. Okay. You mentioned uh, PTSD. Um, then you mentioned depression. You mentioned anxiety. What are the potential uses for psychedelic mushrooms? And are there any, um, are there any studies going on? Are there, is there any academic work going on to push this um, from the black market into the um, into the naturopathic medicine space. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of work going on right now. I don't know exactly the number of how many universities are doing studies, but uh, some of the big ones are uh, John Hopkins University here in the U.S. I know in uh, England there's a few universities there. I'd, I I want to guess some are in the neighborhood of around 25 to 30 between uh, the U.S., Canada, and and Europe that are that are doing work with this right now. There's also another group called MAPS out there um, that's doing work with uh, MDMA, which is like Molly or ecstasy is the common, you know, the street name for it. Um, they're actually in phase three right now with the FDA uh, for, for approval for working specifically, I believe, with PTSD victims um, there. So 
that's really going to be fantastic if that pushes through. Um, and I think we'll kind of maybe blow open the door for some of these other uh, types of things to uh, get approval or get into get to where they could be, you know, worked in with the FDA and, and, and become more legitimized. Okay, but you mentioned uh, John Hopkins here in the United States. What are they specifically working on um, with psychedelic studies? Or, excuse me, psychedelic mushrooms and those and the, app, and the potential applications. They've done uh, several different types of um, clinical trial or studies. Uh, one I know of that they've done is they've worked with people who have a terminal diagnosis, so end of life treatment for anxiety within that. Um, they've shown phenomenal, amazing results. There's, I've listened to several testimonials, like from people, video accounts of the experiences that they had and how, uh, having a really breakthrough experience with psychedelic mushroom has made them so comfortable with the concept of dying and that it's no longer something to be afraid of. And I, th I just find that absolutely fascinating and would really, I see myself if I can kind of cut my teeth with more of like the PTSD with the veterans. I, I see myself later in my career kind of in ending up in that place because I think that to me is something that has always fascinated me since I was young and throughout college and um, really, really interested in that, in that area. Another thing they've worked with uh, really and, and shown some really promising results is with uh, addiction to nicotine. Um, again, I'm going to just pull some numbers off the top of my head. They may not be 100% right, but um, I want to say it was something that they showed uh, from just one or two psilocybin sessions that they were able to um, have people show a year later. Uh, it was like up to 70%, I think, somewhere in that neighborhood of people who were able to uh, get off of nicotine. Wow. Wow. I'm a nicotine addict, and um, it's the second most addictive drug on the planet. And we have uh, 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 millions of people that are nicotine addicts in our country alone. 70%, um, I, I guess you'd call it efficacy, uh, for people to quit through this study using, using uh, psychedelic mushrooms. Yeah. They're, they're, again, I don't, know if, I don't know how many people are in the study, how big or how large, but it's, it's very promising in the early phases of what they're showing with this. Um, and then I guess the last one would just, um, is, is I actually, those are the really the only two that I've done some digging into and reading on and, you know, listen to. Um, so John Hopkins uh, doing uh, uh, studies on end of life, um, kind of anti-anxiety, if you will, um, treatments with psychedelic mushrooms and using psychedelic mushrooms to alleviate nicotine addiction. Very fascinating. Uh, go ahead. What was that? What was the last one? Oh, one other one, I guess, I, I think there is some stuff being done as well as possibilities to helping with, um, with Alzheimer's and dementia and sort of getting some, you know, at least pausing that process in people. And, I don't, and again, I don't, not as well read or looked into that as well, but there's, there's all kinds of things that are, are being considered and looked at with, um, with these uh, mushrooms. And I, I just, I'm fascinated by it all. And I think that we've just kind of scratched the surface of really what these are. I, I don't think anyone really knows exactly what these are or no one's even, you know, been able to properly define it, but there, there's, there's a lot of 
upside potential here. Um, uh, imagine that uh, in your ginkgo biloba um, uh, dietary supplement, you could also take a cyanescence, um, small cyanescence cap to go with that to help uh, prevent Alzheimer's. Just the fu- the futures, there's so many possibilities with um, where that could go. If I could grab your opinion for one minute, we're talking about studies by these major universities. Generally, what happens then is they sell this off, they partner up with pharmaceutical industry. Now, we're talking about an extremely natural substance. They, it grows from the earth, these mushrooms. Where do you see, do you have fears of the pharmaceutical industry coming in and, and taking it in some way or uh, making, making the, the natural form illegal and their synthetic form legal? Uh, wh- is there any safeguards you've seen within these studies to keep it a natural um, product? W- where do you see this going um, in our modern um, uh, health industry? Yeah, it that is a great point to bring up, and one that has there's a lot of contention around that right now. In fact, um, there's a lot of money uh, being dumped into this. There's already publicly traded companies that have hit. Um, I, I'm not sure. I think one's out of Canada, where there there is a lot of money um, going into uh, this research, and unfortunately, yes. Uh, I would say one thing that potentially, and there's there's arguments on both sides, and I think they both have some valid points, and it's it's not an easy answer, or, or you know, there's no simple solution for this, and obviously that's why it hasn't been solved yet. But they do right now with all of these studies and everything, they isolate um, the psilocybin molecule, and then they that way they know the exact dosage that they're giving somebody and, and they kind of have to do it that way to get through in our, in our Western medical model to be able to get these approvals and working with groups like the FDA. Um, now, you know, some of the other things when you find a naturally occurring mushroom is there's all kinds of other chemical compounds that are involved that, you know, just like with cannabis, there's, uh, you've got, you know, CBD and I, I mean, this is more of your world. I don't know that much about that either, but there's all kinds of what they call kind of like an entourage effect of what can kind of affect the experience that one has on these different strains in the cannabis world, potentially the same thing with mushrooms. So, you know, um, you're removing all of that when you're isolating just the pure psilocybin molecule, but they're still showing great positive results. So, you know, it's like, is something is better than nothing, in my opinion. But and then for sure, the companies that are coming in and that are investing are trying to uh, kind of get the monopoly on psilocybin and how it's produced and uh, synthetically and different types and and that way they can regulate who's getting what and they're claiming that it's for efficacy reasons where they're protecting you know, groups from, you know, or some other, you know, down the road, if it becomes legal, like if you, you know, gave somebody the wrong thing and, you know, you could become liable or, you know, where this tightly regulation, tight regulation is good for everyone. And, you know, but then there's the other side of the argument that it's like, no, this is something that occurs in nature. You know, there's a good percentage of our culture who have had some sort of experience with it. Um, and, you know, uh, I think, you know, and there is, there's validity in the argument that that's kind of ridiculous that what pharmaceuticals do, and this is what pharmaceutical companies have always done, is they find something that's out in nature, they take it into a lab, they isolate it, they patent it, and they make, 
you know, millions and millions and millions of dollars off of it. And it's, it's most of all of these things that they've come up with have come from nature. I mean, every, everywhere and every, every one of them. And then some sort of, you know, again, I don't, I don't know all the science in it, but, um, you know, they're playing around with it in the lab to, to make it unique and different. And then it's theirs. And, uh, it does feel a bit, um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but, uh, inauthentic in that, you know, and when it becomes about money, is it going to change? And are we going to screw this up because we're using the Western medical model? Because, you know, again, the other thing is, is that these substances have been used by human species for, we know for thousands of years, for sure, if not longer, maybe 10,000, you know, tens of thousands of years, we don't know. I mean, there's cave paintings and art that they found way back that have, um, you know, depictions of mushrooms, and there's all kinds of story throughout our human history of the, of these being used. And uh, um, now I lost where I was going with that. Well, I think it's interesting that um, I think what you're what you're saying, and the concern is, is that they could synthesize it, so they could say it's still illegal to pick that mushroom that's growing from the earth. You have to come buy our pill that we've. We've come up with an exact measurement of, of psilocybin. Do you know the LD, the, the lethal dose um, for uh, psilocybin uh, psychedelic mushrooms? Uh, yeah, I don't know the exact number, but I know it's astronomically high. I mean, you'd have to—it's like a thousand times, you know, what a person would have to— you know, would normally take to have a psychedelic experience. I mean, you'd basically have to eat— like two times your body weight and in, in mushrooms, it, it'd be almost impossible to, for anyone to do. So much like cannabis, uh, uh, psychedelic mushrooms, uh, nearly impossible to kill yourself ingesting it. Absolutely. This is John Devon, The Foundation. I want to encourage you to spread the love and share the conservative hippie podcast we are building this community one person at a time. Okay, we've gone through the numerous types of psychedelic mushrooms that are out there, um, including one that's been recently discovered in our modern time. Um, we've gone through the different studies that are going on and the work that's going on in academia um, to prove an efficacy of use um, in a clinical setting uh, for psychedelic mushrooms. Tell me, poetic math, where are we legislatively? Where I, I keep hearing about uh, mushrooms being legalized in Oregon and Colorado. What's the truth? Where are things going with psychedelic mushrooms um, legislatively? Okay, yeah, I've been following this pretty closely as well because, again, hoping, hoping to potentially get involved. Um, there's really two paths right now that you're seeing pushed forward. One is, uh, and the more popular one right now, and this is, I think, similar in a, in a way to what happened with uh, cannabis. Um, there's a big decriminal decriminalization push, and then the other arm is actually uh, legalizing it. And um, there's been, the, on the decriminalization front, uh, there's been several cities um, 
uh, started with Denver, I believe was the first, and then Oakland, California actually decriminalized all ethnogens, you know, so any plant medicine, whether that would be ayahuasca or anything, that they decriminalized it, meaning that it becomes the lowest priority for the police enforcement of that city to go after and look for. Uh, doesn't make it legal. Um, you would still get in trouble, you know, and again, I'm not sure exactly each city what their penalties are, but you'd still find yourself in jail and with some fines if you were caught with any of those substances. Uh, I know Ann Arbor, Michigan, and then recently I just saw the whole county that Ann Arbor is, Washtenaw County, um, has decriminalized, um, I think, all ethnogens as well. Um, And then recently, the big news that kind of is coming out of Oregon up here is um, two bills passed. One there was they're decriminalizing actually all drugs. So in, in with that, it's basically is that they're, you're not going to go to jail if you possess anything from cocaine or heroin and nothing. Uh, it's up to a hundred dollar fine. And then the second part bill that passed was actually um, really kind of the exciting one is that they're going to they're looking at, and they've passed a bill for uh, legal centers to go in and actually have the psilocybin treatments that we mentioned earlier with the therapist um, working there. And uh, there's a two-year waiting period with that, though. So they, they don't really know exactly how they want to do it. I, I think there's still a lot of questions to be figured out. So the earliest it would be, I think, is like 2023, where you'd start to see those opening up. Um, but those are, you know, that's kind of where it is right now. It's it's, it's pretty exciting. Um, I think it's neat that the, uh, the stigma behind these is starting to be shaken off, that they're not just, you know, I mean, I think it's kind of like what they did with the propaganda that the, you know, the government put out around cannabis way back in the, you know, what was it, Reefer Madness, the movie they put out where it was like, oh, you're going to go crazy if you smoke this stuff. It's the, the devil's salad and, blah, you know, and um, I, I think with mushrooms that still exists and... Um, uh, I'd like to see that start to just fall away because I think, you know, it's so important on these substances is something they call, and this is, you know, a term that's been used since the sixties is, is set and setting and your, you know, the, the setting that you have and the mindset that you have, um, and the, you know, and where you're doing this. Um, and if you're, you know, having any kind of anxiety or fear that you're doing something illegal that you could be in trouble for. I just feel like there's an element of something somewhere in your mind, somewhere that, you know, may, you know, have you not have as good of an experience as you possibly could, you know, if that was gone. So I'm really excited to see things start to shift and move away from, you know, just being completely stigmatized as something that's bad and awful and terrible for you. I, I tell you what, I had huge anxiety issues uh, uh, all of my adult life, and then cannabis was legalized in Washington, and I found out those were all my anxiety issues. Yep. Ba-dump, bump. Shh. Sorry about that, folks. <laughs> I'm here all week. Um, so do you? Wh- which do you think is best, um, the legal route where it sounds like it'll be controlled uh, through pharmaceuticals and in a clinical setting, or decriminalization? I, again, I think there's good arguments on both sides. I guess I'm a little bit more of a fan right now of the decriminalization first is let's, I I think the most important thing for these medicines, because that's what I think they are, is that we get 
education and we get people informed of what they really are. Well, as much as we know about what they really are, because we don't really know what they really are. But uh, we just need to get as much of the public informed so that they can use them responsibly if they choose to. Um, So I think a bigger step in that process, rather than going the full legal route, because I think Again, there's some worries and concerns with pharmaceutical companies and, you know, regulations and stuff that can, you know, affect it in a, in a, in a bad way. Um, but first, if we decriminalize it, we remove that stigma and then continually during that process as we do that, continue to get, you know, voices out there talking about it, getting more information out there, more articles written, more studies done by these universities showing, you know, what, what can happen with this. And, and then, you know, a lot of, we need a lot of anecdotal experience of people sharing stuff out there uh, as well, where, you know, they're going to tell stories, uh, you know, about amazing breakthroughs that they had and, you know, uh, hear, hear people tell stories. I mean, you listen to some of these stories people talk about that have a terminal diagnosis and it's, I mean, it's beautiful to listen to when you hear someone talk about how they, they not, they're not scared to die anymore. And, and that's got to be, I, I can't even imagine what that's like to go through that. And uh, if you have a medicine like this and a tool like this that can be used that way and, and I, I, I just... I want to just see it push forward, you know, and again, I, th- I think the decriminalization route for now is, is might be the best one. But How amazing is that, that something that grows naturally from the earth requires no processing whatsoever, can't, can't reasonably kill you by eating too much, is illegal, and... What scares me about the decriminalization versus legalization is is that it very well, in a legal setting, it could still be illegal for you to go and pick that mushroom out of the earth. And that's, you know, just maybe not the, uh, maybe the cops won't be after you, maybe the tax man will be after you if uh, you don't get it from the local store that's selling it through the endorsement of the state. It. It's a bonkers world we live in, isn't it? That that here in 2021, we're having a podcast about the emergence of the possibilities of psychedelic mushrooms helping humankind instead of just opening it up, this natural substance that's that, that again doesn't really have a danger of killing you. Um, why do? Why is that? I I, I don't want to. I don't want you to say, you know, the Rockefellers and and DuPonts, uh, you know, they're keeping the magic mushrooms from us. Does it come down to the the housewife at home that thinks psychedelic mushrooms are going to ruin her kid's life if he goes on a trip? Is it where where does this where does this illegality of this natural uh, mushroom come from? That you know, that's a great question. Um, I I don't know. I, I I don't know. I, I I'm big into philosophy as as I've told you, and um, you know the big part for me is when you talk about something called cognitive liberty. I mean, do we not have the right to be able to like manip control our thoughts and use substances that we you know can potentially enhance our mind in the way that we think and the way that we view the world? It's it's crazy to me to think. I mean, I think it was Terrence McKenna who was you know obviously kind of the a bit of a godfather of of mushrooms in in our culture and uh he had you know a term something to the effect of if if uh if they don't believe in cognitive liberty then the 
the constitution isn't worth the, you know, the paper that it was written on. And it, it's something that was, I'm sure I butchered that, but it's something to that effect. And, and I, and I absolutely agree with that. I think it's ridiculous that, you know, we can't, I, I think to me that there was a, a bit of a, a pushback in our culture. I mean, the counterculture revolution kind of in the late sixties and, and mushrooms and LSD and some of these psychedelics substances were, were part of that. And there was a big pushback, but there was, there was some, I think, uh, irresponsible um, advocates and use that was, you know, um, that happened during that era. And I've heard the analogy and of someone saying that, you know, these are these are tools that need to be wielded responsibly and intelligently. And it's, you know, if you just kind of open it up and give it to them, it's kind of like giving a, a set of knives to, you know, a four-year-old child, you know, like you wouldn't, I mean, a, a good set of knives is a great tool if you're a chef and you can create some amazing things. But if you give them to a four-year-old, they're going to do some damage to themselves. And I, 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 I kind of respect that perspective on it. And I, I don't know where I fall. I, I, I feel like, yes, of course, if it's something that grows naturally and I want to have that, but at the same time, you know, we, we, we need to be responsible with this. If you look again back at human history and the way that it's done, it was never, we, we, we were, we, we don't, we don't know for sure, but it, it doesn't appear as if this was used, you know, by masses and masses of people like what we have today. And again, we have a population maybe potentially larger than it's ever been here on the planet. And, uh, um, but traditionally it was always kind of, uh, the shaman in the, in the tribe was the one who would be able to kind of, I believe, size the person up, kind of know what they needed, how much they needed, and was there to help guide them and do it. And it was a ceremony. It was special. It was it was not something casual that you you just kind of went and did at a party to have fun with. You know, this is, and I and I do agree with that. That this is serious stuff that needs to be, and that's my interest in it. Is is that it, it really can do good for the sincere seeker who's looking to improve their life, and I think it should be viewed for that lens. I mean, I I do think there's. I'm not against somebody having fun and exploring because that's an element of that aspect and there's different stages that you go through in your life from you know just adolescence to young adulthood to mature into then to later years in life but um you know I, again it, there's just so many good arguments on both sides of everywhere on this that um i don't think there's an easy answer but uh i'm i would lean more and fall on the side of to less regulation for sure that uh, uh i i there's a great quote again i love some Terrence McKenna had some good ones, you know, he was, he has some good one-liners and he said, you know, it's not that a, a loving government wants to protect you from this. It's that if you use these substances that the very, like all of the systems and things that they have in place is that you start to question those and you start to look deeper into the deeper meaning in, into things and that you start to, I guess, trust the government and listen less and for, an aspect of control that they want to keep the the lid on these things. So there may be something conspiratorial there. I well, possible decriminalization, possible legalization, possible medical breakthroughs coming soon down the road. Who knows? Thank you for sharing uh, the current status of psychedelic mushrooms with us. Oh, you're very welcome. Yeah, we got we got some hope on the horizon, and you know. It, I, again, I'm, I'm happy with any progress moving forward.
and I guess I would just want to add, if I could, just uh, for anybody out there that's kind of like curious about this, you know, they do grow all over North America. There, there are things you can go out and observe. Um, if you just want to start to look and understand, mycology is a fascinating world. Um, there's a, just a, if you, if you, you can join on Facebook, they have a ton of groups with identification clubs. And then there's an app out there called the iNaturalist app. That's wonderful where you can kind of catalog and just start taking pictures of stuff. Get out there. It's COVID right now. It's wonderful to, you know, have something outdoors that you can go and do that is just, it's, it doesn't cost anything. It's beautiful to connect and just be in nature. Just look at it. They're amazing mushrooms of all kinds, not just psychedelic ones that, you know, they're, they're wonderful. There's some are edible. There's, they're just beautiful and magnificent. Just get out there, spend some time in nature, take some pictures, start to learn about this stuff. It's, it's fun and it's fascinating. It's wonderful. All right. What a wonderful discussion. I'm so happy that Poetic Math made his way into the Smoke and Jays podcast studio so we could discuss psychedelic mushrooms and uh, the current status that is uh, the legalization and or decriminalization. Uh, which side of the fence are you on? Do you want uh, the pharmaceutical industry to control um, how psychedelic mushroom mushrooms are used and dispensed? Um, do you want the black market to continue? Uh, do you want decriminalization? Do you want full-blown legalization? Uh, it's quite a debate, um, but at least we're having it at this point. Feel free to send your feedback and your opinion. Uh, the email address is right in the show notes, theconservativehippiepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, I also put a lot of interesting links in the show notes for this particular episode. Everything we talked about should have a corresponding uh, link to it if you want to look into it further. The Johns Hopkins studies are interesting. I also put links to all of the legalization, legalization criminalization efforts that are out there and what have already gone through. I also put the chart, the very interesting chart that talks about which drugs are most dangerous. Take a look at that chart in the show notes and uh, take a look at where mushrooms can be found on that chart of dangerous drugs. Ooh, dangerous drugs. Keep in mind that we don't necessarily have a legality issue in the United States. We have a scheduling issue. And it's not, it's something we need to talk to our lawmakers about and get the FDA on board with true science, with reality, because that's that's what's hampering all legalization and decriminalization efforts across the country is is the way the FDA looks at drugs like cannabis and uh, psychedelic mushrooms. They've got them scheduled completely wrong uh, on the schedule of all drugs. Um, so that's something to look into. It's something to talk about because the more we talk about it and the more we point out how wrongheaded it is, how anti-science it is. Uh, it even goes against uh, the scheduling uh, conditions that they put forth. Um, so 
this is an interesting topic. It's not going away. Uh, fortunately, it's it's into the uh, spotlight of our public consciousness more through the efforts of these cities, counties, and even in academia. Uh, so stay tuned to the Conservative Hippie Podcast. We'll have more interesting shows in the future. So hit that subscribe button, whether it's on YouTube or whether it's on your favorite podcast app. I will always be trying to come out with something interesting um, and informative. Let's be friends. We're all on this cosmic spaceship together. Subscribe and share the Conservative Hippie Podcast. Visit our sponsors, SmokeAndJays.com. Everything for your smoke and lifestyle. StonerHoroscopes.com. Adora Zen dishes cosmic vibes for the stoner at heart. KickFromTheSpot.com. Soccer is American.